Welcome to the Story Tinker Podcast, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, mainly from Webtoon. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep in every episode, analyzing character struggles, relationship development, and of course, theories. We also interview people working in creative industries. You can follow the Story Tinker on YouTube, podcast platforms, and social media. For bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support the Story Tinker on Patreon. We're really appreciative of your likes, subscribes, follows, comments, and ratings on all platforms. Thanks for listening to the Story Tinker, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode four of our special coverage of The Witcher on the Story Tinker. And today we have Manny and um, Bundan, and I will let you guys introduce yourselves and tell us how you found The Witcher and how you feel about it. Um, hi, I'm Bundan. Um, I worked with Mindy before on the Purple Hyacinth podcast that she does, so very familiar with this type of format. Um, and I discovered The Witcher basically, I'd seen a lot of the trailers for season one before it came out in 2019, and I had been into like Game of Thrones, I like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter fantasy. So I was like, Yeah, I'll give this a shot. And I like binged it in a few days. Like I think the entire season had come out and then I'd watched it a few days later. And I just remember being like, this was fun. And then it was like, oh, and then the pandemic began to hit. So it was like one of the last like just chill things before the world began to like turn crazy. But yeah, I really liked season one. I, I liked, I was really interested in where it would go from there. And I was really excited for season two and finished it within two days. So after that came out so yeah wow two days <laughs> I'm impressed when you have no time like when you have like sorry when you have plenty time when you're on break you can finally binge the stuff that you never had time to do before so it's great mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's why they released it in December the new people would just have about it oh yeah that's smart yep. oh man all right well I'm Manny Carvajal I'm a musician. I release my music under the name A Million and Vermillion, which you can find on YouTube, Spotify, and a bunch of different webtoons as well. And I, I started getting into The Witcher when season one came out. A bunch of my friends kept recommending it to me, and I've always been a huge fan of fantasy. I read Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and watched all the movies when I was a kid, going to the premieres, going to the book premieres of Harry Potter, you know, all those good things. I loved Game of Thrones, and like many of uh, many fans of Game of Thrones, was kind of sad about the ending. Oh, so many years ago. When was that? Two, three years ago. Just two, like almost three years ago. God. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm I'm still sad about it. But yeah. my friends kept telling me I needed to watch The Witcher. So I, when it came out, I sat down. I thought I was gonna like it, and it just was like the uh, best rebound for me. I absolutely loved it. In fact, I'd say for me personally. I love The Witcher more more than um, any of those other series. And I got so obsessed with it because, well, one, I loved the show. And then when the pandemic started, I said, well, I guess I have some extra time. I binged through all the books. Actually, let me put an asterisk to that. I read books one through seven, wow. which are, I guess, the core of the story. And book eight is like a side story. So it's like uh, I've read the main story. I haven't finished the side story yet, but... And I played the video game and all those good things. And I've just been so excited 
for season two and I loved it. Um, I'll say that it was so interesting for me because I feel like out of all those series, The Witcher probably takes the most liberties away from the books. But it's also kind of so interesting because of that. And season two was even way more different than the books than season one was, but I'd say in a lot of good ways. So I'm a little conflicted. I was a I was thinking that we um, shouldn't compare it to the books because I'm afraid of getting spoiled. Honestly, like I don't know, what, I don't want to know what happens. Um, mm. I don't, and I know that it's diverging from the books, but I'm like I, don't, I just don't want to know. I don't want I don't even want to think I know. You know, so yeah. I don't know. Is it okay if we keep it to just like the discussion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like they're just completely different canons at this point. But, and I just like the show for what it is and I like the books for what they are. Yeah. I won't, I, think- I won't spoil because there's a, there's a lot of ways that you can get spoiled early on if you mm-hmm. bring up anything of the book. Yeah, I completely forgot that before I even started the series, I had actually bought Witcher 3 for the Switch. And I, because I was like, I heard this is an amazing game. It came with all the DLC and everything is a good deal. And I got it and like, I just thought it was kind of difficult. So I stopped after like five hours, but it really did help like set the scene for a lot of the things. So when they mentioned like Nilfgaard and Yennefer, I was like, I know them in the show. I completely forgot about that because I haven't touched that game in like two years, but I know it's a good game. I just don't think it's for me, but yeah. It, it is, it's a, it's a time sucker, but it, it, it's cool. I'd say even the game and the books, they're all separate stories but they all have the same characters and places. So it's an easy way to like, this is where this is on the map. Mm-hmm. Cool. This is what this character looks like. No, I haven't, but I, I will be honest. I am, if there would be any game that would get me to try a video game, it would be The Witcher, <laughs> just to see. <laughs> if I ever come across anyone who has it and I have a few spare minutes, I'll try it. <laughs> okay, so let's dive right in. Episode four is called Redanian Intelligence. And uh, we'll actually start out with a Redanian section. So Redania is a country, and we start out, it's a really, um, really gripping scene. You know, we have this king, King Vizimir, and his two advisors, and his female advisor is like, oh, can't trust anyone these days. Everyone, you know, looks like assassins lurking everywhere. And then she immediately gets punctured through the throat by this guy in red coming behind her. And he's, the king's like, you know, he has this reaction, which... I have to say his reaction kind of shows his personality because he doesn't really take it very seriously. He's like, he just wipes off blood off of himself and um, expresses a little bit of shock, but most people would express, I think, a lot more shock at the, like the person that was just killed. But, you know, he's like, what's going on? And then Dijkstra, the person in red, tells the um, other advisor who was the guy, he gives him the cup that the female advisor was about to give to the king. And he's like, you drink it. And he, you know, looks cornered. And then pretty shortly we find out why he drinks it, he foams up at the mouth, and he's dead. <laughs> so yeah. He King Vizimir was about to be assassinated. And you know, I guess looking back, you can kind of say, okay, fine, you can understand his reaction. But I think it tells us something about the kind of king that King Vizimir is. What do you think? What do you think it shows about his personality? I mean, obviously he's he's getting assassination attempts all the time. Yeah, and I, obviously he's somebody who people don't like <laughs> to be doing that all the time. Yeah, no, I got the feeling that he was one of those rulers that like doesn't really see anything beyond like his immediate like issues, like his court, like, oh, these people, they're just doing that. Or like I, he has no qualms with like ordering people to be 
killed or like anything because he is so just focused on himself and does not like care about like the true well-being of his kingdom other than what it can bring for him it's like these people who tried to kill him it's like okay they just tried to kill me oh i'll just deal with it like i don't know i just got that the vibe that he was a very like lax ruler who only cared about maintaining his own power yeah he seems pretty childish like Dijkstra is trying to talk to him and you know explain like some the the politics of what's happening around him and he's like oh get to the point I'm starving and it's like mm-hmm. hello like this is your job your job is to presumably protect your kingdom you know try to advance the, the well-being of your people and he's just like I'm just hungry so he seems pretty childish um and yeah and it he- also makes you understand how easy it was for like the brotherhood to like get manipulate people to do what they want because it's like if you have rulers like this and they maintain that like level of immaturity that it's so easy to like sway the political landscape into the brotherhood's favor. Right. You know, and it's kind of interesting because the I'm trying to compare it to the other monarchs that we've been exposed to. So we saw King Foltis, right? King Foltis of Tumeria, who also displayed this immaturity, right? We're told that he wasn't taking care of his kingdom. He was letting the Striga you know, kill everybody. And he was just like eating chicken and ignoring everything. And then we also have Queen Galante, who, while she um, very clearly had some issues by, you know, with her whole Elven massacre, and she just seems like a harsh ruler in general, it's very clear that she does want the best for her citizens. So, you know, say what you will about her, she was trying to give her people a good life. And this guy just doesn't seem to care. She seemed like she had more of a hand in ruling than at least uh, the King of Redania had has at this point you know like I couldn't I can't picture this king going out and fighting his own battles like she did either like right like he would never so so that just showed Kalampe was at least like a competent ruler in her own right Mm -hmm. yeah so and especially like where when what happens next Dijkstra tells him hey you know um Sintra has now been taken over by elves and he's trying to think like, why would they, you know, why would Nilfgaard do this? Why would they just sit there and like feed a bunch of people? He's like, why would they help people? And then he's like, wait, you know, we couldn't conquer Sintra during Calanthe's rule, but we can conquer it now. And I was actually very disgusted by this because I was like, I didn't really get it. I was like, why? Why do you want to just take over land? And why do you want to start wars? Like, what's the point? I guess this is why I'm not like, I don't know, um, power hungry ruler, but I just don't understand, like, what's, why do you want to bother people? Like, why do you want to start wars for what? Like a city filled with people you don't even want in it? Like buildings, like you want their leftover buildings? Like, I just don't understand these, these moves. Resources, farming, mines, that's manpower. Like the, he, like the cities themselves, I don't think are the big deal, but more like access to resources, trade routes, all that, all, all for the expansion of power and profit, I think. And they also really don't like the elves. That too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't get the impression it was like any special hatred, but I think that they're just dispensable to them. Just like, yeah. you know. They think of like an animal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like Dijkstra, I'm not quite sure of his motives exactly yet. And I am pretty sure we'll get more of him. But like the king, it just seems like typical. <clears throat> I just want to expand my power um, without a thought to like consequences. I feel like Dijkstra has something extra to him. I feel like there's more to him than just an advisor to the king who's trying to help him grow his kingdom. What do you think? I could definitely see him being, you know, pulling strings on all sides, especially the the conversation they're having. 
and how little of a hand the king has and everything. You know, he gives me, like I said, he's the, like, he feels like the real power behind, like, where this kingdom is going and manipulating things for his own gain. Also, side note, the actor that they play, they chose to play him. I've seen him in a lot of other stuff and I love him. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to like, I'm like, oh, they, they got this guy. So, you know, he's going to be good. There's, There's other stuff. On hand. I've never yeah. seen him in anything else, but I loved his mustache. Yeah, he's in um, Outlander, in like the first oh, couple okay. seasons of Outlander. And um, if you've seen Castlevania, he's the guy who plays Dracula in Castlevania. Oh, so cool. that's cool. And he was also, ironically, I just learned this. There was that Witcher animated show that they put out on Netflix a few months ago that follows um, Vesemir and his backstory and stuff. And he, that guy, voices Vesemir's like mentor that he oh, had when he was oh, young as oh, a witcher nice. yes i, I was like oh they just watching this that guy last series. night so now i'm gonna I, I only watched 30 minutes of it i have to finish it tonight mm. it's really good it's I, all right <laughs> by the way probably like my first or second anime i've ever watched in my life so um i think <laughs> i watched spirited away so that must be the second one but yeah i watched it because huh. of the witcher and it was it was very moving i won't spoil things yeah but it was okay i'm not happy um but yeah Declan I have and not Declan um well Declan in another form Beekstra um yes yeah, so in the next scene we see him in <laughs> not to um be too inappropriate but he looks amazing and I'm, when I saw that I was like wow I hope I am that fit and healthy when I am 60 because he looks amazing <laughs> we love so, a Scottish king right and it's like was there any purpose for him to have his shirt off no but you know I guess he just wanted to show up <laughs> work where they're like yes <laughs> so anyway uh, so the next scene we see him in which is way later and we're just you know putting every all the episodes together he is talking to this um owl which I don't know about you guys but when I saw the owl the first time I was like there's something up with that owl <laughs> did you guys think that as well absolutely I mean nobody just puts a random owl or talks to a random owl right that's delusional no but, they don't uh, sorry Oh, I was just going to say, it's a pretty cool owl anyways. They got to do something with it. Yeah, and uh, the way that, he, like, at first I was like, okay, so he's just, like, venting to an animal, but then he was, like, actually like, talking to it, and then you saw, like, its perspective. It's like, oh, this is a magical, like, spy thing. I thought it was an enchanted owl or something, but, like, obviously we learn later on what it is, but it was just like, huh, okay. Now we know this owl. When we see this owl, things are being spied on. Right. Yeah, and um, also, I mean, that scene with him talking to the owl, I was like, that is just pure exposition. And like, he needs to talk to someone, you know, to like get the words out so we can hear it. <laughs> so mm. what he's saying is he's trying to figure out the white flame. He's very frustrated. Like nobody knows anything about the white flame. Um, you know, he's trying to do his job because obviously Nilfgaard is trying to take over the continent. He's worried about his own kingdom being taken over. And he's like, what does the white flame want? Like, does he, do women get to him? Do men get to him? Does he want money? Like he doesn't get him. And he decides he needs to send somebody there to... Um, spy and then we have a very nice tie-in because he's like oh we need to send an elf because nobody will suspect an elf in Sintra and he's like we need someone valuable someone distrusting and then we see Dara being pulled out of a cart and Dara who we haven't seen Dara since season one he is the elf who helped Sintra up uh, Siri sorry um, when she <laughs> ran away from Sintra so it's like oh no our dear Dara will be used for less than wonderful purposes. Or, I, don't know. I love seeing him again. I'm going to be sad that he's going to be the spy. 
same. I was like, no, I want you to have a good life and not be manipulated. Because then I was like, oh, there's something that's going to happen. He's going to feel bad. Like, you know, like, you know exactly what's kind of like his plot trajectory just based on that. But I was just like, no, my poor boy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's so hard to not. I mean, obviously in The Witcher, it's like they have all these different sides and you you kind of feel a little bit for everybody, no matter what side they're on. But I, you know, I feel like the elves so far are kind of like the underdogs. And this kid, they put him out to, to send him against his own people. So we'll see what happens. That's the thing. I'm not sure what Dijkstra's game is because yeah, he says they want to take over Sintra, but like, I don't know. I feel like there's something else that he's planning. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, I got that vibe too. Like there's an ulterior motive with him in particular. It almost like, I don't even know if it's directly to do with the brotherhood. I feel like he almost feels like he has his own agenda and we just don't know what that is. A lot of people have their own agendas and we don't know what they're doing in this season. (laughs) So I also wonder, what did he tell Dara to get him to spy for him? Like what was, what was his, I don't know, lie or motivation? Like, how did, how did you convince him? That was my thing. I was like, how is this guy going to convince this elf to turn against his own people who are all being persecuted to help the people who are doing the persecuting? I don't know what it was, but, like, he's all right. Like, I know in season one, I haven't watched season one in a while, but I know, like, a lot of stuff happens and he just becomes, like, really, like, tired of everything and he feels like he's being manipulated all the time so like could be something with that I have no clue (laughs) yeah he definitely wasn't told that this will be used against the elves pretty sure they didn't tell him that Mm. okay so now we're gonna follow Siri and Gerald in the story and see what they did this episode so we start out with them um they're in the forest they're chasing a boar well I, I have to say we my husband and I were watching it together and we're like it's not a monster it's a boar it's a boar which it was so and they separate you know she falls down and she sees Triss she's distrustful for at first but then you know she's like don't worry I'm, I'm with you and they go back to Care Morin and they have this really cute interaction because apparently Triss has been there before after um Bessemer invited her after she helped patch up Geralt in Tamaria when he battled with Ostriga. And um, <laughs> it, it was nice because, you know, when, when she brings it up, Geralt, of course, like doesn't take any credit for anything. <laughs> you know, he doesn't say like, ah, I saved the princess. Um, Triss has to say anything nice because Geralt doesn't really praise himself. Hmm. I just loved when Geralt first showed up when Triss and Siri were talking and he's like, hi. And then Siri's like, y'all know each other he's like what he's like yeah that happens a lot in this season like (laughs) series like oh you know each other yep Yep. that was fun i i like the the female presence now with all the witchers and stuff i i liked that siri had someone to bond with that wasn't a big burly witcher (laughs) you know she is such a contradicting presence to all the other like rugged dudes it was nice to just see how, uh, you know, them, her appear again. I, I loved seeing her interaction with Geralt in the first season. And I was curious to see if, they, if she'd come back. And uh, especially Siri. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like living with all those dudes, always fighting, making fun of her. And then having 
a female presence after who knows how long it's been since uh, she first pops in at Care More. And mm -hmm. yeah, and it's a big theme. I mean, right away, as soon as she comes in, Tris is like, oh, I'm sure you all want to wash up, right? And they're like, aha, very funny. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, and she notices how Cirilla is dressed, how she is like in, in rags, she says later, and how she's all dirty. And yeah, she's definitely the, the female presence. And Geralt tells Siri, I brought her here to be a guide for you because he feels out of his depth. You know, he has this teenage daughter suddenly and she is, you know, honestly, she could be worse. Teenagers <laughs> can be a lot more like loud and vociferous and angsty, but you know he's he doesn't necessarily know how to how to raise her well he wants to help her train her but he doesn't he's a little scared of doing that and um so he bought he bought Tris because he feels like he needs guidance and I think it was very smart of him you know I think something that is when you when you recognize that something's out of your depth like the best thing you can do is get get help so to know that you can't do everything yourself You know, I, I appreciate that, like, Daryl's like, okay, need new perspective, need someone that can help. I know Tris, Tris is cool. And I do think that if he didn't know that, if, if he knew that Yennefer was still alive, he would have probably called Yen, but then, he, but also he's really close with Tris. He knows Tris. He's like, yeah, Tris is cool. Yeah. But I just, I, I appreciate, I didn't even think that he would reach out to try and get people to come so I really appreciated that Geralt like took the time and like the effort to try and do that for Siri. I thought I thought that was that's so true and I thought it was so funny because you know they set him up as this big tough guy kills monsters travels the world but he he inherits this teenage daughter and he just can't handle her <laughs> and uh, I mean Tris immediately does come and does a lot of help also, speaking of Yennefer, I thought it was so interesting because he thinks that she's dead and Triss is about to reveal that mm -hmm. Yennefer is not dead and he shoots himself in the foot and <laughs> because he's like, stop yeah. it, don't tell me. <laughs> you don't want to be spoiled, right? Oh, it was such oh, good I hate, I, like, I, I knew that there, I was like, oh God, bring up Brent, Yennefer, let him know that she's alive. And then it's just like, no, just like, no. I want him to know that he stops being sad. But it was really good writing. I mean, when they get us frustrated because we know something that the character right. is like, ah! <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I was like, as soon as she started listing off the mages that died, I was like, she, she's going to stop in middle. There's no way she's going to reveal it this early. They're going to, they're going to make him suffer longer. <laughs> so yeah. So Carol also, in addition to bringing Tris for for Siri, he kind of wants her advice also because he talks to her and he says that, you know, he's having trouble. He's like, she's not sharing anything with me about what happened before I met her. And he wants to know like, what happened? How does she get out of Sintra like unscathed when like everyone else died? And she's not sharing with that with him. He's also, he tells Tris, you know, she has these visions. She saw me on the battlefield, the Sodden before it happened, which I actually am not sure about because I actually went back and watched it again. So like, I was like, what did I miss? Um, I, cause I didn't remember her, her having any vision. The only thing I saw was that she, when they get to the battlefield and they're like, yeah, yeah. She just says, oh, this looks familiar. Like I saw this before. I don't know. That doesn't seem like a vision to me. <laughs> did, I, did I miss something? You know, that's a, that's a good point. I hadn't seen The Witcher since it came out two years ago. And all I remember from that episode is it's kind of like this weird hazy episode because Geralt's, uh, also having these hallucinations basically from recovering 
So I, I can't, I, all, all I can say is I kind of just took it as that's what she must have told him in one of the non-episode scenes. Hmm. Okay. But maybe, maybe it is that she didn't, maybe you're right. Maybe it's that she didn't, uh, she hasn't seen it. And that's just what she's saying. It could be just something that's kind of retconned. Like we need to imply that or whatever. So they just threw that in and they're like, yeah, people won't probably won't remember this. And I, I haven't watched any of the old Witcher like you guys since mm -hmm. it first came out. So I, I just kind of took the show's word for it because I remember like visions were had and like mm -hmm. she saw Yennefer and stuff and she's like, oh, okay. Well, I heard her name at least. So I was like, oh, okay, that's probably happened. I took that for granted. So yeah, I guess. Well, maybe I mean, that's I how they found each other because they, she was coming toward, from where, I can't remember if it's like Ger Geralt comes to her where she is or if it's like they come to each other. And if it is that they came to each other, then it must be because she saw a vision of it. Yeah, yeah they, she, I think they did come to each other. Yeah, she was having like some kind of dream and that's where she heard the Yennefer, Yennefer, and then she just felt mm -hmm. this compelled to go to the forest. And so she got out of bed at that, that family's house and went to the forest. And then, and Geralt also like ran out of the cart because he heard, I think he, if I remember correctly, he heard the girl in the forest will always be with you, the girl in the woods, which is what Renfrey told him. So yeah, so they both like felt compelled to go into the woods and then they found each other. Yes, yeah, so I guess that's kind of like, mm -hmm. I was just going to say, it's, I mean, it's kind of like she gets drawn towards things and mm -hmm. the whole thing so far in the season is that she's feeling drawn towards these monsters. So I, don't, I wonder if it's, it, the power comes from the same thing as what drew her towards Geralt. Yeah, <laughs> which not to get into the whole Geralt is a monster theme, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I wasn't thinking that, that, but hey, yeah, you're right, maybe. For me, I was just thinking of the whole destiny thing, because you know, this whole show is about destiny linking mm -hmm. people and stuff, so I was like, oh, it's one of those. That's where my, yeah. my mind went, the destiny thing too. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that has something to do with their powers as well. Yeah, this whole, like I was saying this on a previous podcast, it was, um, I had to, I had to like orient my brain to remember that there are certain premises that are within the story. And like, let's say I don't really go by destiny so much in my own life. Right. But I have to remember, okay, this is their world and destiny is a huge factor in their world. So like, this is a big deal. And yeah, the fact that they say destiny all the time, it's like, yes, pay attention. <laughs> you know, this is, this is something that influences life, um, guides life. So anyway, so she's, he's talking about how, you know, again, um, Siri felt this pulled to the Leshy and she guided him to it. And then this new monster came and um, they also decide, Trish says, you know, hey, I'll help you out. We can see if the if the Leshy that, you know, they have a little bit, bit of Eschel's, <laughs> Leshy Eschel's still left over that they're trying to study. And so she drops it into some potion which she you know, does an elder citation. And she says, we'll see if this has any mutagenic um, interference to see if mages had anything to do with this, mon this um, mutated Leshy. Um, so they put it in their lab and they, you know, They'll give, they give it a whirl. They'll <laughs> see tomorrow. It, it should glow. Centrifuge. Yeah. Um, if they're very scientifically minded, it's um, it's very funny because they also they mention genetics at some point, and it's like, okay, <laughs> not discovered yet, but fine. <laughs> and they yeah. have this whole science. As someone there. with yeah, as someone with a biology degree, seeing that, I was just like, oh, there's the science, and they got like the centrifuge. Like, I have to do genetics labs, and you have to spin the thing in the centrifuge for like hours to get it or whatever. So I was just like, 
they're actual scientists and I appreciate that they don't call it a magic it's like the science of monsters which is such a weird thing but I I appreciated that that's so cool I never realized that and to me I mean that's that's one of the coolest things I've seen so far in the series it's like I've never seen a take on mages or witches or wizards or what have you that try to incorporate a science element to them Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that, you know, I I used to read a lot of fantasy and then I, I dropped fantasy for a really long time. And then I was getting back into it with the Shadowhunter series and I was listening to interviews with her and she talks about how, how to create, like when you create a magical world, it has to have rules. It can't just be, you know, we assume like, oh, magic, like anything goes. And it can't be that way because then there's no limitations. There's no um, expectations. There's no, like people are just powerful and have no, no stops. So a magical world just because there's no magic in our world like if it's in another world it should have rules it shouldn't be systematized like it should be something that you can study so that approach is not completely foreign but yeah we're we're not used to combining the two we think that magic and science are polar opposites yeah another um show that did that really good where they like the magic is a form of science was on full metal alchemist brotherhood the anime that's a great one that one i have seen yeah, so like that one, like the whole art of alchemy, they're always like, it is a science, it is not magic. And they they do have the rules. It's like, you can't get more than you give into equivalent exchange, all that stuff. So like, yeah, that whole thing of like setting rules for your world is such a big part in making it feel real. And I appreciate that they're incorporating those elements into The Witcher. Absolutely. Yep. So now we have some wonderful emotional stuff, which I like this. This was one of my favorite scenes. Um, as they're, you know, when he, after he stops her and tells her, you know, I don't want to hear because he doesn't, he's afraid of hearing Yen's name. Um, Triss realizes this and she tells him, you know, you witchers like to pretend that you don't feel anything, but you feel it. You feel love, you feel desire, you feel pain, you feel sadness, you feel anger, you feel everything. And I was like, oh, this is great. She's so nice. And like my husband sitting next to me, he's like, oh, she's about to, um, he's, he's like, oh, she's into him. She's like, she wants him romantically. I'm not like, no, she's just being his friend. And then the second later, she's like, sleep with me, Geralt. <laughs> <laughs> she, needs, a move. Yeah, she needed a, a, a pick me up because she's not feeling her best either. She feels like she's got these scars on her chest and she's not like, she just needs something to like boost her like perception of herself and like she doesn't really she's not in love with Geralt or anything clearly it's just that she knows that they're both sad and she's like let's do it like like I let's find comfort in each other and he's like no I'm good I'm sorry but and I was just like oh it's like I want her to be happy but at the same time I know that Geralt doesn't need that right now so yeah I appreciate girl I think that's sweet because I mean if, if you think about it he thinks that the person he loves is dead and despite that he still is reserved from moving on to somebody else yeah. also it kind of says a lot about him as a character because I mean it, his whole purpose is what to protect humans from monsters yet in the episode all the humans we've been seeing are kind of monsters <laughs> and then there's him that's supposed to be a monster and he's like the most, I don't know, tenderhearted, at least in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Geralt is one of the most moral characters in this whole story, if not the most. I love Triss also. Triss to me is always consistently be good. She hasn't done anything evil yet, you know, <laughs> like, so I, I really like Triss <laughs> as well. But yeah, both of them. Um, and, you know, 
But then I was kind of thinking that as well, because even when she said stay with me, I didn't get the sense she was in love with him because I feel like if she was really in love, it, we would have needed more of a buildup. Um, I think that she just needed comfort. I think she was lonely. And I mean, like, even what platonic cuddling is, is very, you know, useful. She's been through crazy trauma. Of course, she wants someone that she likes to be comfort, like comfort her together. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, so I'm glad because I, I feel like if it was love, it wouldn't, it didn't make sense. It was too quick, it was too sudden. And the resolution is also like weird which I guess we'll, we'll do the resolution now. What happens is, is later on, he tells her, I'm sorry that I can't be what you want and what you deserve. And she's like, oh no, it's fine. I wasn't really into you. I just wanted to feel again, <laughs> which, you know, for if that's a love thing episode, that would be really quick to be resolved. It's like, I love you, but then next morning I'm fine. So it makes more sense that it's not really like love. Yeah. But what did, what did you think of, of the fact that she's like, I just, I wanted to feel something again because I can't feel anything. Did you get the sense that she couldn't feel anything? I got the sense that she was just like, ever since the battle at Sodden, she has not felt herself. And like when you go through something that's like traumatic or like life changing that like throws you off, your way you perceive things can change a lot where you're focusing a lot on things that you wouldn't usually you don't find joy in the things that you used to your friends can only help you a certain amount so it's like yeah her not not that she can't feel anything she still feels like you know she cares about like Sari and Geralt and everybody and she's friends with like Vesemir and stuff but I think she's just been in her own head so much that she hasn't really been able to like live like how she used to so I think that's what she meant, that she just wanted to feel something again, because obviously when you're with someone like that, it can distract you from like your own mind and like you can like stop overthinking and just enjoy yourself, even if it's only for a little while. So I think that's what she meant mainly. She definitely seems more apathetic in the second season than the first season, because in the first season, I really loved her whole character especially when it from what I remember it kind of felt like a lot of the the anybody who used magic they everybody was kind of a little bit corrupt or self-centered and Tris to me out of all the characters in the first season was like the uh like you said Mindy the the, the most centered and um the most maybe the most moral and in this season and all the scenes up until this episode she's kind of just like she like she didn't get into the to the bath in one of the earlier episodes she had the near-death experience and she it seems like she has ptsd hmm. it uh it does seem like she's really apathetic and if she does have any feelings for Geralt, whether they're like inherently romantic or just a fling i'm sure she's just trying to get some sort of emotion out that's a good observation yeah you're right she is yeah, she does seem like low key, I don't know, depressed or something. Like mm -hmm. she's took a step back, you know, like she's not so active. It's a good point. Hmm. And the way Geralt, like, you know, he, the way, when he said no that night, like he didn't really have the words to say much. I don't think he had the emotional wherewithal to, to say much. He was like, I'm sorry. And he just leaves, which is typical Geralt. But in the morning when he's calmer, he does give her a nice apology. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't be what you need, what you deserve. You're wonderful, you're amazing. And you know, don't worry, there's someone out there who will appreciate all that, which is very gentlemanly of him. 
no, I love Geralt and how like his sense of like owning up to what he needs to like I mean, you know it took him like a good 13 years to own up to like you know taking his his child's surprise whatever right but in the end he does always kind of make sure that he accounts for everything that he does so um, and he does care about Tris and he, she he considers her a friend so I really appreciate that he like once he kind of had like the time to think he immediately went and like talked to her about that I it's like good job Geralt like don't just leave her hanging yep so anyway, the next morning, speaking of like feminine influence, Siri comes out and she's all dressed up. She washed her hair, she washed her clothing, she has a nice dress like shirt on and she has flowers in her hair. And of course, immediately our dear witchers, Lambert and Cohen are like, what's up with you? Like, oh my gosh, we never got my stuff that clean. Are you going to a ball? Because they're a bunch of immature frat boys and they have to tease their little niece. And poor Siri, she gets a little like hurt. She runs away. <laughs> Feels so bad for her. Let her be pretty. Let her, because like this whole time she's trying to be prove that she's like tough and she can do whatever. But like there is still that part of her that likes to be have like pretty things and look pretty and feel feminine. So I was just like, oh, especially at like uh, being a young teenage girl. Like even though her circumstances are completely different than what she would have had before, it's like you still feel those things. So I felt really bad for her. I was like, oh, guys, shut up. Let her, let her be pretty. Let her do what she wants. I loved the dialogue that of Triss scolding all the witches. It's like, what are you gonna do if her time of the month comes? I'm like, oh man, they're like, you know, <laughs> like the, the typical could, male reaction. Yeah. That'd be like, awesome. Never thought about it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So good for her. She stood up against them, and she was like, "You're just," she's like, "You're not. You know, you don't have no emotions. You're just choosing to be ignorant assholes." So good for her. Mm. But in their defense, yeah. when, when Geralt comes to the lab where Triss and Siri are, he brings her some breakfast and he says, they felt bad that you didn't eat. So they felt bad. They tried to make it up for her. Because <laughs> they're obviously like, they're like, we can't go. It's too bad. Geralt, you do it. You're the, <laughs> you do it. That's We're fine. true. I didn't even think about that. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Again, frat boy behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and Siri's line is really good. She's like, you know, my grandmother went to battle and wore dresses. You can do both. <laughs> Very true, Siri. Mm -hmm. Although, if you remember, Kalante did complain about dresses, and she's like, oh, I wish I could wear my armor all day long. But I'm like, I don't know, girl. Like, that armor you were wearing, I'm pretty sure your dress is more comfortable than that armor, but whatever. <laughs> I think it's the way that people look at her more, because it's like when you're, like, I feel like maybe, maybe when she puts on the dress, it's not about the comfort thing. It's like the way that people perceive her. Like, I feel like she feels like she got more respect in the armor versus authority. the dress, you know? Yeah, it's like that authority, that like power that comes from it. Like the, cause she's like, yeah, I fight in battles and stuff. But when she puts on the dress, maybe a lot of the men forget about that. But I don't know about you. I was like, I would wear a, a velvet dress any day and just chill instead of like hard <laughs> plate armor. I have a velvet dress right there in my closet, but yes. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I tell you the truth. If I if that was, I didn't get the impression that that was what Kalante was going through because Kalante was a very very intimidating ruler and she got a lot of respect from her people. Uh, and also, I'll, I'll, I think that trope is like a little overdone. Maybe it's because like we already grew up in a pretty egalitarian world. I'm like, it's just I, I'm a little sick of the like oh women are like second class citizens theme and you know 
I like the fact that in The Witcher, women are just people, you know, and they're just, you know, there isn't this thing like, oh, women are less than. There is. Yennefer says that a little bit sometimes, but in general, they're just like regular people. And I don't know. I don't want to be given special treatment. I don't want anyone to say like, oh, you need to be empowered. I'm like, I am empowered. Like, that's it. Like, I'm just, I'm just a person, you know? So I liked it that it wasn't yeah. too emphasized. I, I think the main thing for me was that series like I, I feel like it's been a lot of the overdone things is like in order for a woman to be powerful she has to strip herself of her femininity and be like masculine and I appreciate that series like you can be both like and not still maintain your powers so I, I just appreciated that because that was kind of a big thing where it's like oh if you want to be a strong independent woman you can't be into like dainty pretty things you have to be like tough and want to fight and it's like both you could do both it's more normal that you can't just be one or the other like you know I, I don't know I just appreciated that take on it like good job Siri yeah and I actually was listening to an interview with Freya Allen who was one of the who sorry who's the actress for Siri and she said that she liked how in season one Siri wasn't immediately this like you know quote badass warrior she says that you know she had her strength was like emotional and she wasn't wasn't right away, you know, this terrifying, fearsome fighter girl. Like she was timid and she was shy and sheltered and scared. And she says that she liked how, you know, you could show that there's also emotional strength and internal strength. It doesn't always have to express itself through physical fighting. So I appreciated that a lot. So anyway, the um, bit of the Leshy has finished its whirling and turns out, no, there is no mutagenic alchemy, but it is covered with stalactite, which is um, like this black powder. And um, they also say that this is the same thing that is from the monolith, which is in Sintra. <laughs> and Siri's like, oh, <laughs> it kind of fell down. And they're like, how did it fall down? And she's like, well, I did it. <laughs> I screamed. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, this girl is really powerful. <laughs> and she uh, screamed, toppled the monolith, cracked the earth open, although she didn't even tell them about the earth cracking open. They only find out later. And um, yeah, so basically that what happens next is Geralt wants to find out more about monoliths. So Tress is like, I know someone, I know someone. And we're like, yes, we're going to see Istrid again. And that's the end of Geralt in this episode. He portals into uh, Istrid's study and we'll see him next episode. I was just like, oh, I can't wait for them to like talk about the fact that they're both Yennefer's ex-boyfriends. <laughs> like, yep. I, I didn't and, even know that's where he was going until he showed up. I yeah, no, me realize. neither. And then I saw, I was like, oh, damn, I didn't think that's how they'd be. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Like, he just yeah. pops up and this guy's like, and, and Geralt's just like, hold on, hold on a second. It's, I'm fine. I love the I love the portals for that exact reason that they always make them like feel sick afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is is really good, by the way, because um, you know sometimes we feel like magic and you know you just snap a finger and like everything's great and like no like it has effects. Yeah, if you would be whirling around from you know one place to the next, you should be nauseous. <laughs> well, that's good. And so the last thing that we have with Triss in this episode is in terms of the order, we actually are gonna go back in time a little now, but is that Vesemir, while he looks at, we see a little bit of him looking at Eskel's bones, like being sad. And then we see that he finds um, this flower on the ground and he brings it to Triss and he's like, what's this? You know what this is, right? And she's like, oh, it's, I wrote this down, Thanewed. And she's like, this only grows where elder blood has been spilled and it's fresh, like what's going on? And he's like, it's all over the training course where Siri is getting knocked up. And they're like, 
oh dear, because she had elder blood. Big reveal. <laughs> Yeah, like on top of like she's got like vision, she can topple monoliths, her blood can grow flowers, and then they're like, oh, do they say? I don't know if I'm going a bit ahead of myself. Do they say in this episode is that that the elder blood can be used to create the Witcher mutagen? Or is that in the next one? I feel like it ends right there. Yeah, it's like when says, they say, when they make that big reveal. Yeah, so I was just like, oh, that's, that's a twist. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and we've um, we've heard about this elder elder stuff before. Like we, Nivellin tells her the story of the elder mage. Um, it's called the Fall of the Elders, and um, I think the elves talk about the elders. So, yes, it's been it's been kind of hinted at before. So we're gonna see more of this elder blood. So now let's talk about Yen and Kahir's story. So I happen to um, love the whole Yen and Kahir story. I thought their reaction, their interaction was hilarious. I loved it. Um, I did not get why Yen was still hanging out with Kahir. I mean, they're literally sworn enemies, but whatever. I don't know. Did you have any theory? <laughs> Yen just doesn't care. She's like, screw all y'all. And she just says, guys, she's like, whatever like might as well and like he's a warrior i guess so, like and he's got like he can he is like what is like the commander of like the Nilfgaard army so she's like once we get there i at least can be like safe for a bit so i think that's the main thing she's trying to stick with him as like protection basically even when if they're both wanted might as well be wanted together and she like they can try and get out like by combining their like skills self-preservation i guess I mean, yeah. it's so, it's such a, you know, thinking about it in retrospect, Kahir being the big bad of season one, the fact that he's just there hanging out with Yennefer and they're running around together. What a, what a twist. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, I remember seeing Kahir in season one being like, man, this guy looks so, I don't know, rotten, evil. And he, he, their whole dynamic kind of makes you, uh, I don't know, appreciate the dude a bit more. And I, I mean, obviously she's on the run. I can't, I wouldn't be able to tell you why she decided to, to sacrifice him all in all in the end, but she, she did. And I get to that extent, they're, they're a lot allied for, for, for what is going on right now. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I thought about like why she did what she did at the end of the other episode where she, you know, saves him because she doesn't want to kill someone and she doesn't want to do what they're telling her to do because she's a contrarian. She doesn't want to be told what to do. Um, she feels trapped. She feels like, you know, she has no options. That I get. I didn't get why she stuck with him. Like, I get the, the part after where, you know, all these flyers come out and they're like, okay, they're being recognized. And she's like, okay, we, we got to go somewhere safe. And he says, you know, Sintra is safe. Like, come with me. I'll protect you. That part I get. The whole middle part, like, why she's sticking around with him, that I don't get. I don't know. Maybe it was his personal charm. I don't know. Maybe she was just lonely. I don't know. <laughs> the banter. Mm. <laughs> I was, okay, I, I like Kahir a lot. I don't know why. Um, I'm really questioning why I like Kahir. I cannot tell if it's, I literally just like the actor's looks. Like, I can't tell if it's because I think his character is interesting and like, because he was felt out to be so evil and then he, he makes some good choices here. Like he does some nice things in this episode that really, I like that. I don't know. I definitely- This I, episode- Sorry, sorry. Uh, I would say this episode definitely like humanized him for me because like 
you don't see him as just like the big bad anymore. You see heel, he like when uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, like Yen is in danger, like getting pulled in in the sewers or whatever. He like goes to like help her and all that stuff. So it's like you can tell like he's not a monster and like you see that in a lot of the ways that he talks about certain things that you in like later in the season as well like his experience like trying to get back to center really does kind of put some things in perspective for him some ways so I I I appreciate that they took the time to really try and make sure that he wasn't just like a one-dimensional bad guy they gave him some depth and I appreciated that and also him and Yen moving together was just fun I liked it yes yeah, Yen does have like these great one-liners. She loves to argue with people. And yeah, she needs someone else who can do that back. Like they're both just zinging at each other and like insulting each other. <laughs> so it's funny. So I guess, okay, so let's get into the story. We start out, um, they're in, I have to look where this was, Gerstvelin, Gerstvelin. Oh, that makes so much sense. My husband who's Dutch was saying that there's a lot of Dutch names here. Like Dijkstra is a very Dutch name and Gerstvelin sounds very Dutch too. Anyway, or Gerstvelin if they would say it. But um, so that's the city that they're in. And the first thing we start out with is we see the horrible treatment of elves. They're literally being rounded up um, and put in chains. And the, it starts out with this like really, really evocative scene where this elf says he needs to go uh, urinate. And, and then he tells the guard like, oh, please, you know, you can shackle me. Just like, I really need to believe myself. And the guard seems like he'll be sympathetic. And then he's like, go ahead. Okay, you know, you have to go, you have to go. And he's like, okay, thank you. And he's like, go let's go and he urinates right there and then the guard just tells him oh the elf scum it's so dehumanizing and like the look on his face is so I mean well done like that despair and anguish it's it's very 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 heartrending you you expect to see like wow some people in this country actually have some decency and some sympathy towards the elves and it's like, actually, no, it's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no, I had to forward through that scene because it just made me so sad. Like, I was just kind of like, the, 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 and I was just trying to get through it as fast as possible because I, I don't like seeing, like, people suffering a lot. And I was just like, I can forward through this. I'm on Netflix. And I just kind of got to the end. and was like, oh. And then, like, Yen sees it too. And so does Kahir. And I think that kind of, like, because obviously Yen is being persecuted right now for her like elven heritage and then Kahir seeing it too is just kind of like people suck (laughs) like so I I it's a weird thing like Kahir shows sympathy for the elves and I'm like and especially later on he says he specifically says it out loud and I'm like Kahir you literally burnt all of Sidra like I don't understand you it's like oh I feel bad for these elves but I don't feel bad for like the ten, tens of thousands of citizens I slaughtered in Sidra it's so weird which is that's the thing about these a lot of these characters like they do bad bad things and we still like them somehow and they are capable of feeling sympathy and other all the range of human emotions even while you know cutting themselves off from sympathy for a certain group of people for whatever reason it's like oh I, I feel bad for you guys I don't feel bad for you guys <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of one of the things that this episode is so good at accomplishing, which it's basically, you know, what I said before, like here it blew my mind that they were doing these things together because he's such a big bad in the previous season. But to a degree, it shows him as being more of a sympathetic character, a, per, a character who's more sympathetic to others. But it shows the characters that were you were thinking all the good guys were behind are actually kind of horrible. 
But like from my own perspective, I'm not sure to think if, okay, maybe Nilfgaard isn't as bad as we thought or, well, everybody's bad. So I don't know, take it, take it, I guess, accept it for what it is. You know, I guess I'll be honest, like what um, <laughs> a lot of the stuff in, in this show with the elves reminded me a lot of, um, you know, the way the Jews were treated in World War II. So I'm from Jewish background. All my ancestors went through it. A lot of them were killed. You know, obviously uh, my grandparents were the survivors, but, um, you know, you read stories of Nazis and clearly uh, they didn't really treat the Jews very well, but like they had other people that they loved. They loved their family, you know, they loved their kids. And, you know, presumably they thought they were doing it for the good of their people, but it's, it's like people are never unilateral. I mean, obviously there's also, you know, um, whatever. I mean, I could tell a lot of personal stories, like my, one of my upstairs neighbor, like a Nazi guard helped her escape, you know, and like he, he liked one of her friends. So he helped her group of friends escape. It turns out he was Jewish. It was like the weirdest story ever. So who knows what horrible things this guy did, but also good things, you know? So I guess, I guess to say that someone like Kahir or, you know, all these characters can do terrible things and still have human sympathy and feel bad for other people is, is really realistic. You know, like think Even about all the times when you like, like in history where people will be like, I hate this group X, this other group X for like stupid arbitrary reasons, but like, you know, they'll love their families or they'll be like, good they'll do other certain things that are like good like net good to society but it's like um but you still are a bad person in other senses so in a way it does do like show an authentic human experience for a lot of people so it's like people aren't like if you uh kill a bunch of people that doesn't mean you hate all of humanity which is such a weird thing to think about but yeah it's very human of people so like prefer certain groups over others, demonize certain groups over others. So like, yeah, good to see that sort of real experience in the show. And you know, the funny thing is that through all of this, we're seeing the, the motivations of all these characters, but we really still don't truly know the motivation, I'd say of Nilfgaard, but probably both sides as to why everything is happening, which well, is almost more interesting. We, I mean, so far what we've been led to think is that Emir is after um, Siri. Now, now we're trying to, now we kind of understand why, like the more we learn about Siri's powers, the more we get it. But, and obviously we're going to learn more as the, the seasons go on, but I, that's the reason that has been presented, I think. Um, whether it's the full reason, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. why they have to burn down, kill every citizen. Of Sintra in order to do that I don't know like they could have just right. her, you know like I don't know why right. they had to kill everyone yeah what was the reason but yeah <sighs> I don't know right I mean there's no, there was no philosophy oh Sintrans are evil we have to wipe them out it was like oh we're here to look for the lion cub and right know, well, and they, they, they kind of presented them almost like zealots like religious mm. zealots in the first season because they attacked Sodden Hill and again, it's it's kind of like, well, that's such a vague reason. And obviously, seeing Kahir and his perception of everything, it's like, you know, he has his own reason for, for working with Nilfgaard. But obviously, it's, it, you know, his, he, 
regardless of what he's done, he does still care about people. Yeah, that was something I found interesting. Well, I guess we'll talk about it a little bit when he when he talks about Amir, because I was curious to see, like, is he a religious fanatic like everyone else? As we talked about, like, in the last episode, the episode where Tisea is trying to torture him, he's like, oh, you know, the white flame will cleanse us all. So he does use that, that like, cultic rhetoric. So he's mm-hmm. bought into it to some extent, but I'm not, I also was curious, like, is there more to it? Is there another reason that he's trying so hard to, to get Siri? For the for is it just for the white flame? Is it just that he's serving? You know, is, is he just really believe in that, or like is there something else? But anyway, we'll talk about it in a little bit because he does have he does talk to Yen about it. So anyway, um, people start recognizing them. They get attacked and they jump into the sewer, which is actually Kahir's initiative, and he like you know he helps Yen in there as well. And then he's like, oh, we're safe here. And then a second later, this elf you know like puts a knife to his throat, and you see these two elves. Their names are actually um, Bellion is the elf that puts the knife to his throat, and the the one who can't speak is um, Germain. And you know he's like, oh, run away, run away. And Jermaine is like, no, 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 I'm staying with you. Like I wouldn't abandon you, which is obviously very ironic. And because he's, you know, he's like a loyal friend. And they basically, um, he's like, oh, you're, you're, you know, she's the one. She's on our side. She's the one. She's the elf mage, and we can trust her. And he's like, oh, you can't trust anybody, which is once again very true, <laughs> as we will see. And uh, they discover, they say, hey, we know we're headed to the Sandpiper. The Sandpiper helps people get to Sintra. So they're like, okay, great. You know, we're safe here. We're going to go to Sintra. And as soon as, like, someone says, Yen or Sintra, I don't know, you're safe here, we see this, like, slithering thing in the sewers. So, yes. Yeah. That that whole scene where that guy gets, like, pulled in, I felt so bad. Like, obviously, it's, like, I don't know the this is a thing with you guys, but whenever you're introduced to characters and, like, it's a pair and one of them is particularly endearing, it's like, oh, he's going to die first, isn't he, right? <laughs> like, that no, was... I didn't think that, but it made me sad. Oh, yeah. I, I was, like, for that next time. If I like the character, he's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, I was just, like, seeing just like, oh, this guy's, like, too sweet. And they've, like, put a lot of effort into, like, making him endearing. Like, he thinks Yen is pretty and he talks about, like, he's beautiful. Like, um, it's funny because... I don't know if this was just me, but I had to do sign language when I was an undergrad. And like a lot of the signs are like ASL signs, which was interesting to see. I was like, but I do know that some signs kind of like are throughout other different languages, like um like BS, like British Sign Language, other stuff. There some similarities, but not quite. But I was just like, oh, he's sweet. And then and gets pulled in by the tentacle monster thing. And they'd rescue him. I was so I was so sad I, and I think every time one of those things happens it's like man if Yennefer had her magic I was hoping <laughs> it'd come back and I'd be the thing would bring it back yeah and the fact that she really tried to help him as well like because you know she had also been endeared by him he, she thought he was sweet and like he he helped her out and then he saw she saw that he was being pulled in and his friend who he was with presumably for like a decent amount of time immediately abandoned him but she who's only known him for like half an hour or whatever is like no and like jumps in to get him mm-hmm. and then herself gets pulled in so yes. and by the way also Kahir also goes to help her so like another yes way in which Kahir shows he's a human she went first but he goes right away to help her and then she gets pulled under and he's like he's ter- he's very distraught and then she you know surfaces and he also tries to help her and he grabs her out and you know puts the torch on a monster so Kahir also shows himself to have a heart and to be helpful here <sighs> By the way, it, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of all those shark movies. It's like the, you know, the uh, yeah. death, right? <laughs> like, ah, gross. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but also, especially as soon as he started, he was giving that hopeful speech and he's like, oh, I'm going to have chickens. I'm going to have a farm. It's going to be so great. I'm like, you're dying, dude. I just know it. You're going to die. You all called it. I did not, I did not, I did not think that. Like, oh man, he's going to have such a happy life. Oh. <laughs> I've seen too many. Tears, I've, I've seen too many of this same scenario happen to be like, oh, I was really hoping he'd like pop out and then maybe the other guy would die because like, you know, karma, but no, they killed him. <laughs> oh, if he shows up in season three, though, with some like battle scars or whatever, I'll be like, yes. Or like, he's just he this guy living on a farm. Right? Maybe. <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll keep an eye out um, so I have a question for you guys you know how his the tops of his ears ears were cut off um and she's like oh who did that to you I didn't get the answer you know they said like oh we were working for the dwarves and then the dwarf like warned us that they're doing the roundup so we escaped so I still didn't get get it clear like who cut the ears off like did he do it himself to try to disguise himself um I think they said that it was some like when they got caught because I think someone like caught up to them or whatever and they were like your ears are hideous or something and they like cut them oh. so i think it was just people never mind <laughs> okay reminds me of if season i think it was season one there were people that had like elf ears on the necklace uh, it was the guy yeah. the guy whose brother was killed by elves that's why he he cut cut off all those yes. elf ears. i mm-hmm. what if it was that guy yo hey and he just now has that guy's ears on a chain. Ooh. I don't think so because that guy died weeks ago. Remember? Oh, killed by um, the Nilfgaardians when they raided their camp. And this this seemed like it just oh, happened. Oh yeah. Plus, it's a different. I place. haven't seen this show in like two years. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, plenty of people willing to cut people's ears off. What can I say? Mm. So um, anyway, so they leave. Kahir, they have this whole thing, you know, Kahir rescues Ganshi, and then they they leave the um, sewer, and actually, Kahir left the torch behind, I was like, why are you leaving the torch behind? I was like, it's your weapon, your only weapon. <laughs> but, anyway, so they leave the sewer, and then Yan, this is my favorite scene in, like, probably the whole Witcher. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, crying, I know, because I'm a very girly girl, and I love when people pour out their emotions, and he, she's, like, crying, and she's, like, what's the use of it all? Like, nothing works, and it's all hopeless, and, like, you have, you find love, and then it's not real, and you have power, and then it goes away, and she's, like, so distraught, and then, <laughs> and, then and she's, like, Kahir says my favorite line, he's, like, you are amazing, what you did in Sodom was amazing, and I'm, like, you are the one who she was fly, flaming at. Like you're this is the funny line ever. Like, that's the person she was trying to kill. Yeah. yeah. No, but even he recognizes like if she had her powers right now, we would all be screwed. And I just like I love the part where she's like, and then you find love, but then it's like a wish, and it's just like what? <sighs> yes oh, i love this thing oh, it's yeah. like emotional outbreak and i love it when people break down emotionally i don't know this is i originally wanted to be a, a therapist in my past life and like i suspect not i suspect i know this was why i love to hear people like emotions anyway i don't know if it's like healthy or not but this is what i'm always drawn to like people people sharing their emotions so and i especially loved kahir doing that because I was wondering, like, is it going to take him in a bit of a romantic direction between Kahir and Yen? Which it didn't, but it definitely was a connection. And he was being nice to her. He was comforting her. And he was trying to make her feel better, which is, like, incredible. (laughs) I get the feeling that, like, okay, so, like, uh, spoilers for the end of this episode. They get, like, separated. But I get the feeling that they will run into each other again and they will be, like, 
I don't get the feeling that he would be against her again like I feel like he would like either try to help her out on the down low or just like be good with her for like the rest of the time because they they bonded you know yes I don't know just get that that vibe like they've set up that relationship for something in the future Mm-hmm. I, I could see like it I, I mean I already feel like it's already had a big impact on both their characters their meeting of each other because mm-hmm. even for Yennefer I feel like him encouraging her but also her breaking down is almost like a big turning point for her character I feel like this whole season is her hitting rock bottom because isn't it that she becomes a mage because she wants power and to not be I guess deformed as she was but after she gains all that she realizes that she wants to have a child and now where we are in season two is she can't have a child and she can't have magic and she can't have everybody's looking for her to kill her (laughs) and so I mean I feel like already she seems like she's getting humbled and then maybe to hear maybe I'm not sure maybe it'll I guess he, he would at least have um, some understanding of the other side that's not Nilfgaard and the wizards and all that. And Mages I think he rather. also, I think he also needed to be humbled because he was the commander. Mm-hmm. We don't know his life history before he became commander. We don't know his backstory mm-hmm. yet, but he had a high position of authority. He seems very confident. He seems, you know, like my word is the, you know, taken and everyone listens to me so him being on the run and him needing other people's help it also humbles him and well we'll see his behavior a little later like it doesn't seem like he learns that lesson right away but I'm sure it'll I'm sure it's in there (sighs) so anyway so he tries to comfort her and then he realizes he's like oh that's what did you win he realizes she doesn't have magic anymore because of the fire magic and he's like well we all had our moment in the sun and he says that um what's it called uh well, yeah, I, I don't know how, I forgot how they got into this conversation, but, you know, she says something about, like, the best of our two side, and he's like, oh, I've seen your best. He says that to say I tried to torture him, and then he's about to share. I was very curious what he was going to share, because, but it didn't really quite satisfy me. He's like, you know, it didn't work. She didn't get into my mind, and she's like, what would she have found there? And I was like, yeah, tell me, what would she have found? What's inside your mind, guy here? Like, I wanted to know. I was, like, waiting for some big emotional reveal of, like, why do I do this? And he, he just says that we serve Amir because he served us first. So what did he do? Like, what did Amir do to help Kahir that makes him so loyal to him? We don't know that yet. Yeah, we see that. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm mixing my episodes up either. But like, we see that Frangilla also has a very similar story as well. Like, she's loyal to Amir because he helped her in a way and that's why she became devoted to him and like turned her back on the brotherhood and whatever right so like clearly this guy has like a like either he is like actually does these things to like help people or more like I don't I mean I don't know this guy but it's like he does it to to ensure loyalty like he knows what he needs to do to like get someone to stay by him no matter what do his bidding no matter what and like they see him as kind of like a god almost like the white flame like their like religious leader in a way too so it's like I don't know this whatever this guy is doing to like gain a following from these people is working very well to inspire such like mostly unwavering loyalty Mm -hmm. yeah and you know I can't remember if it's that 
Fringilla says something similar and Kahir says something similar, or Kahir words it as a we, as in him and Fringilla, as opposed to just Kahir. But I do get the, the exact same vibe, which is they are doing the things they're doing because they believe in Amir as if he's been, he had done something for them. And it's one of those other things that makes me wonder, like, so is, is it that Nilfgaard and Redania and all the northern empires are both bad? Or is that maybe there's something more to Nilfgaard that we just don't know yet? Right, so we know that they were... Morally ambiguous, I guess. Yeah, their king was overthrown. I forgot his name. Something with an F. But their king was overthrown mm -hmm. by the usurper. And we know that Frangilla was put in a playhouse with all the other mages. And basically, like, it seems like they were raped there a lot. So, and Emir mm -hmm. saved her from that. So that that answers Frangilla's question. We don't know what Emir saved Kahir from. But he must have done something. Because he says he served us first. So I think we'll find out eventually. <laughs> but... <laughs> And then he also says this line, which I'm also trying to puzzle out. He says, everyone answers to someone eventually. I suspect even you. So he answers to, to Amir. He says that line to, to Yennefer. Yennefer. Yeah. Who does she answer to? To Saya? Carol? She doesn't really answer to anybody. She always That's answers to herself. That's kind of the interesting thing about that line, huh? You're right. She doesn't answer to anybody else. Like, to say it, she respects, she loves mm -hmm. to say it as, like, a, a motherly friend figure. But, like, at the end of the day, Yennefer does what Yennefer wants to do. Like, like no, doesn't really care about what anybody else thinks. So, but, yeah, the idea that maybe one day she will find some, I, I don't know, like, again, speaking a bit ahead, but, like, maybe it's she finds, not necessarily like answering to someone, but finding something to, like, be loyal to. Mm. And I, we all here, we finish the season, we kind of know, I think, what that eventually becomes. But yeah, I think it, it's that kind of hints at that kind of development. Yeah. Don't want to bring right. it up now. Yeah. Right. Because right now, Yennefer just does what's best for her. And I think through that, that, that is her, her arc that she's going to become more than just herself. Hmm. All right, so now we have a wonderful part of the story. <laughs> I love this so much. The the this is my Piper. favorite scene. <laughs> this is my favorite scene. <laughs> like, the, the one they're talking about, like, it's the sandpiper, and then it's like, who's the sandpiper? And then you begin to hear the music from the below the floorboards, and then you just see Yen's face. Because like, you begin to hear the music, so you're like, no. And then you just see her face just become delighted. And then you just see your boy playing his breakup song to the entire tavern and it's just like it really was like a classic breakup song except it was about the witcher yeah <laughs> it's like i remember my biggest hit guys an asshole broke my heart left me <laughs> alone on a mountain i know oh my gosh that scene was i love that scene too because it was like it was so obvious that Geralt's like transposing his pain because you know, Yennefer just broke his heart and, you know, broke up with him. He's like, yes, Gear, you're awful. Everywhere there's trouble, it's all your fault. And it's like, dude, it's not his fault. You're just sad because Bro. Yennefer broke up with you. And like, and he just takes it out on the nearest thing next to him. <laughs> hmm. Well, the nearest yes, thing is the last. <laughs> Anytime yes, Gear is on screen is the best thing because his, like, the way that his characterization the way he says things like I know the actor does a lot of like improv as well for things and it's just I love it 
he's a delight. He's my favorite part of the show always. Yep. <laughs> I was so excited to see him. I mean, we're four ep- episodes in, and this is the first time we see him. And what yeah. a surprise. I was I was uh, so surprised. I didn't realize the Sandpiper was, was Jaskier. But I felt like it was that moment when you're in the movie theater where everybody cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah okay. i i was shocked too and then it was like yes <laughs> yeah and he got a glow up his like outfit he, he apparently petitioned for his he wanted a long coat like that was his doing like the actor and, huh. and he has like he looks like a rock star the whole scene is set up to be like okay he's like a like a rock star performer you know and he's just being dramatic burn you know but you're burn and he's like just scrubbing in people's faces it's so funny he's such a drama king i love it <laughs> It's like the, the opposite of what you think of like a bard or like a troubadour or whatever. He's like so epic. It's like watching YouTube or something like that. I, know. I play <laughs> D&D unbelievable. sometimes. And when the bard, the bard characters are always like the dramatic, theatrical, mm-hmm. like he is the D&D bard and I love it. Yes, that is very true. We, we have, a, my husband plays D&D with friends and our most dramatic friend is the bard. Yes. <laughs> oh, that is funny. So anyway, um, she goes to say hello and he's like, what the heck are you doing here? And then she goes and hugs him. He's like, oh, oh, we're, we're hugging now. <laughs> he's in shock. And he basically is like, you know, why are you here? She's like, oh, we're in hiding and we need your help. And he's like, why are you in hiding? And he's like, oh, oh, you're quarter elf. Okay. He, he, he doesn't even like, she kind of lets him think that's because she's quarter elf. She doesn't really tell him like, actually, I kind of like I'm in trouble with the brotherhood. She, you know, she lets him just come to his own assumptions because Jennifer is a little sneaky, <laughs> but she's nice to him, you know, she like is clearly happy to see him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's like she's been through all this shit, like, and like, she's just dodged, just had an emotional breakdown, she's like, there's nobody, in the, like, whatever, and then she just sees Yaskir, who's just like, oh, this piece of shit who I always, like, used to pick on, we used to fight, but just having a familiar face that she know wouldn't, she knows, like, won't be, like, betraying her or anything is right. just, like, the the bomb on the burn for her like you know it's like okay things can get things are looking up a little bit and we both got burnt by Geralt so <laughs> right and he's like no, no 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 I I speak of, of emotions that everybody can experience I am universally you know and then you're like okay fine it was Geralt <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know I think she also feels comfortable with him because Yaskier is the kind of guy like you know he's never gonna hurt you he's just a good guy at core. And yeah, he'll make snarky remarks and he says very funny things, but he's going to be there for you. And I'm like, I was very impressed because he explains like why he, why he's doing this, but I was like, he finally, you know, did it. He's doing something mature because in the, in the previous season, he was like a little immature, you know, he's supposed to be around 40 already at this point. And he's just like hanging around and being funny and (laughs) inventing songs. He hasn't really done anything courageous yet. But in this season, he really steps up and he risks himself to help others. And it's just a big growth for him. Yeah, no, I just hearing him. Is it in this episode that talks about like they're killing art and artists and I can't stand by that. It was just like, oh, just like, like you see a lot more depth to him that you like they do. So they do show some depth for him in season one, but then you rarely see it come out in this season like he's been through some stuff and now this is happening and he's just like I can't 
just sit by and watch this happen. I need to do something. And he does something that's just really good by like saving all these elves and getting them to safety at like potentially the cost of his own like safety. Mm-hmm. But I just appreciate that. It's like, oh, this is why we love Yaskir. Yeah, I think that it's so cool that he's like, I mean, he's essentially doing things that are more heroic. And even though he's not an even, he's by himself, he's not with Witcher. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have any powers like Yennefer or the Witcher that make him particularly strong. That's a great point. And you know what? Maybe he yeah. needed to be separated from Geralt to do that because he was like kind of hanging on to Geralt's coattails and relying on him to do the manly stuff, mm-hmm. mature stuff. And like now he's standing on his own two feet. That's a good point. Huh. huh. The, the power of the breakup song. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. Sometimes yeah, I need to listen to that whole song again. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Um, but you know, the the thing that he tells Jennifer, he he tells her like, oh, I was at this this place when it was raided, and you know, first they come for the elves, and then they'll they'll come for the artists, and they'll come for me. And it really reminded me, speaking of like another Holocaust analogy, this uh, famous poem that like this German pastor Martin Niemöller said you know, everyone knows it. Like first they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't socialist. And they came for the trade unionists, unionists. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. And they came for the Jews. I didn't speak out because I was a Jew and they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. So I'm pretty sure that they had that in mind when they gave him that line because it's just, it's too reminiscent of it. Mm. So That's like a perfect analogy. Absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't the original. I don't know if this is in the original books at all or anything, but it's like, isn't the author for the original book is a Polish guy, right? So it's like clearly there is a lot of history with like Poland and like having a lot of like the camps and stuff there. So it mm-hmm. could be very, a very purposeful choice that they made. Yeah, <laughs> my husband is very into European history, and he was like the whole which he was like ah, and he's like he for sure wrote it with like Polish history in mind and stuff. And I looked it up afterwards. The author claims it's not particularly European history, but obviously everybody's influenced by you know their what happened to them and. Poland is right there in the middle. My husband's like, poor Poland, they're always overrun by people conquering them. <laughs> anyway. Poland conquered I, part I of my so. country back in the day, though. Fun Wait, fact. So, uh, so I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. The Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth conquered huh. Tobago for a bit. So there you go. I had no idea. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that until a few years ago either. But yes. They did that back in the day. <laughs> and I know one fun fact about Trinidad. I heard that they made music illegal. That's where they the made, came from. Yeah, they made, um, it, it was for slaves. They made, because the, during like carnival time, like the, they would have the masquerades and the slaves couldn't play music because that was like a part of their African heritage. And then they, that's where Calypso came from. Yeah. And the mm. steel pan and all that stuff. So yeah. You know your music history. So, yeah, the, that's the one history I know pretty well. But, <laughs> hey, you know what? They came for the elves, and then they come for the music. Right? <laughs> yep. So now, Yaskier has this great plan, and he's like, okay, here's the boat. And he's like, what are you going to do? Okay, here's like, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. That's the beauty of it. I never know what I'm going to do, which is so Yaskier. And he goes on and it's really cute. And he's like, oh, the guard's like, where's the papers? He's like, oh, papers, papers, I'm looking for them. And then the guard's like, wait. And he, he starts humming one of his songs. And the guard's like, hey, I he start singing and they sing together. And he's like, you're the bard, aren't you? He's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my niece is a huge fan of yours. And it's, it's very funny because it's like, obviously like ripping on celebrity culture in our days. It's really cute. 
And, and so it's all growing great. And you think, you know, he's like, ah, oh, you could go on. You don't need to show your papers. And you're like, wonderful, the plan worked until <laughs> the guard is oh. like, you know, that song wasn't really your best song. And then it's really, really funny because it's obviously like a veiled allusion to the writing of season one. And he's like, yeah, I didn't really get that there were different timelines until the fourth verse. And like that dragon reveal, I saw it coming from a mile away. And you know, the part where the loot player gets together with the warriors, that's not really realistic. <laughs> that was my favorite. I love the, the meta commentary for season one. Cause yeah, that was like that whole, the biggest complaints was like the stuff about the timelines and stuff. So I was just like, I see what you did there, which seems to be righteous. <laughs> that's so funny. It was, it was so funny. It was hilarious. I, I love the you go ahead, right, go ahead. <laughs> i was just gonna say i just love the whole idea of like that one creator that's responding to all the trolls on twitter <laughs> and like he gets so butthurt but it's so funny because you i didn't catch the fact that they were making commentary on the season one <laughs> critique but that makes yeah. me love that scene so before mm -hmm. just just seeing him slowly get more and more offended <laughs> and be like no actually i'm gonna disrespect everything you do it's just like yes here <laughs> You had one oh, job. I Just know. take the criticism. <laughs> <laughs> Considering all the good things you've been doing, it's like once the ego gets involved, it's like that's where the line is drawn. Mm. Oh, so yeah. So the bard makes a very poor choice and he's like, if you thought you could do a better job, write it yourself, you jelly hide, stinking donkey man. Like he just gives him this whole insult, which <laughs> anyway, and Kahir's like, oh my God, like I have to go distract him. We're never gonna get on the boat this way. And Yan's like, no, 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 don't do it. And then we have a very, very evocative moment where the elf that ran away and abandoned the other elf in the sewer has a moment of heroism and he basically sacrifices himself to save the rest of the group. And he goes up and he's like, fuck the North. And then like, you know, it's kind of, you see him gathering courage and he, he like really resigns himself to his fate. And he's like, fuck the North. And he basically gets beaten to death. So not very nice. It was very, very hard to, to watch or not watch because I put my hand over it. But yeah, <laughs> very good, re good redemption for him. I'm gonna say. Yeah, go that elf. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Name was Bellion. Yeah. We don't know it. I, I just have to look it up. I don't think it was mentioned. <sighs> yeah, it was really hard to watch, but it was very, very well done. <sighs> so uh, they got on the boat and the bard is like, you know, you're safe now. Like, whatever. I'm like, bard, like that guy's death was really like your fault, but whatever. Um, and, you know, the irony is like, he sees Dara and he's like, oh, I, I hope to see great things from you. <laughs> which is like a little bit of a hint you know are we i don't know and you know they they have yen and bard have this wonderful goodbye and he leaves and as soon as he leaves we hear him yell and we see the loot crashing and we're like oh no and yen goes up and she tries to she's like what's happening and he's like what are you doing what are you doing come back and that's where we end with them <laughs> I love that whole arc. I would say probably that bit was my favorite part of the episode. Like, just the whole thing with Yen and Kahir and Yaskir. I was just like, this is this is good stuff that I enjoy. <laughs> this is what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Any other final thoughts on the episode? Episode four. Just 
happy well, to see Askier again. Yeah, that's basically where my mind was. It's like, I'm just excited to see the bard more and more. <laughs> and then the stuff with um, Ceres blood, learning more about her and like what actually is going on with her. I think they set that up really well. So yeah, a lot of stuff that's like really gets you to immediately click on episode five. Thank you so much to my current patrons. Susie, Lady Libris, Lily, Jenny, Haley, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, Joe Rochelle, Saucy Cuckles, Meg, Anne Rose, Priya, Alexa, Misty, Laura, Joanne, Patty, Emilda, Esther, I'm watching you people, Taurus, Poppy C, Marie, Jen, Emily, Jean, Jen, Aaron, D, K, Lily, Becca, Stiranda, Christine, Sadie, Kelly, Daniel, Teresa, and Mrs. Castaldo. Your support is truly appreciated. Thank you.